If you choose to go on a diet, um, I wanna show you the results of a study that is basically the best medical science can do. This is the Look Ahead study, and they took more than 5,000 people who were diabetic and either overweight or obese and put them on an incredibly intensive diet with an unbelievable amount of support. They had group classes, they had individual consults, they had physical activity specialists, they had nutritionists, they had psychologists, they specifically identified individual barriers to weight loss and strategized with people for how to overcome it. They had over 300 contacts each with professionals over the 10 years of this study. And at the end of it, the average person in the intensive diet group had lost 5.7 pounds more than the average person in the control group. About a quarter of them had lost 10% of their body weight and kept it off, which is the gold standard in modern medicine for diets. And just about exactly the same number had gained weight and the rest of them were pretty much where they'd been to begin with. So this is the best we've got. And it's pretty underwhelming, <laughs> at least in my opinion. So why is it so hard to keep weight off? The answer to that is not in your stomach, but in your brain. And I'd like to introduce you to the arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus which basically serves as a, a thermostat to regulate weight. And so you know what happens with your house's thermostat if you leave the setting alone and you decide that you wanna cool the house down by opening a window, say, in the winter. Uh, anybody who's ever lived in a New York apartment where the landlord doesn't allow you to control the setting for the heat might be familiar with this process already. But what typically happens is that the place cools off for a while and then the heater kicks on because the thermostat says to itself, this place is not at the correct temperature. We better pour some more heat in. Something very, very similar happens in your brain when you lose weight. Uh, everybody has a, uh, what's popularly called a set point. Uh, scientists call it the defended range because that's a little more accurate. It's, for most people, somewhere in the vicinity of a, a range of 10 to 15 pounds where your body is comfortable. And if you get above that, your body will try to get you, your brain will try to get you back down for a while kind of half-heartedly. <laughs> if you get below that range, though, your brain will try to get you back up to it intensely and relentlessly. And that is the solution that evolution put together over hundreds of thousands or millions of years. You know, every mammal has this mechanism to solve a problem that we no longer have, the ever-present scarcity of food. Because if you think about it, in 
you know, in a hunter-gatherer tribe, for example, your odds of weighing 500 pounds are pretty slim. <laughs> On the other hand, your odds of starving to death are not negligible. And so your brain puts a lot more energy into making sure that you're not starving to death. And unfortunately, it doesn't really seem to take into account where you're starting from in that process. Um, for most people, you know, you, you probably know what weight it is that you can maintain comfortably, what weight it is that you always go back to after you've been on a diet. Um, if you've had that experience, that is probably your defended range. So when you, how, do, how does the brain do this? Basically, this is the master controller that changes a whole bunch of physiological factors. You don't have to memorize this, there won't be a quiz. But you can see that this is, this is controlling a bunch of hormone and neurotransmitter systems that basically have two major aims. Increase energy storage, which is to say, reduce the amount of energy that you burn, and particularly, it turns out, reduce the amount of energy that you burn through physical activity. Now, that's great if you're a hunter-gatherer who's having trouble finding food. You, you actually become a Prius, and you get more miles per gallon <laughs> from the food so that you can go farther looking for more. It's not so great if you're going to the gym trying to burn 500 calories. And then the other effect is to increase your appetite and increase food intake. And some recent work has actually suggested that that effect is larger than the effect on metabolism. So um, everybody likes to think about the metabolism because it really feels like something you couldn't possibly help. It's definitely not your fault. But uh, People eat more without even realizing it, too, and uh, sometimes quite a lot more. Dieting has a variety of uh, psychological effects that are not good for you also. I already mentioned the tendency to uh, become fatter, but also there's a strong risk, especially with repeated dieting for the development of eating disorders in including binge eating, which is probably at least some of the mechanism behind the weight gain that I mentioned. And the other thing that's kind of more subtle but really interesting to me is that when you diet, you are teaching yourself to eat according to rules. You're teaching yourself to eat according to somebody else's plan. And people who do that get out of touch with their bodies. They have trouble telling when they're hungry. And if you have trouble telling when you're hungry, you're going to have trouble telling when you're full. They frequently eat when they're not hungry. They eat for emotional reasons. They eat for social reasons. They eat just because somebody puts some food on the table in front of them. So these, these are the typical psychological characteristics of frequent dieters. And it's, it all comes back to the idea that somebody else should be telling you what to eat. So I want to show you one more study real quick. This just was an epidemiology study that asked people about four healthy habits. Did they eat five servings of fruits and vegetables a day? Did they exercise at least three times a week? Did they not smoke? Did they drink 
less than two glasses of alcohol per day. And normal weight, you can see basically that the more healthy habits people had, the better off they were in terms of their risk of death. Same thing in the overweight group, same thing in the obese group, but here it becomes very clear that the problem is not obesity itself, but the correlation of obesity with bad lifestyle habits. Because if you look just at the people with four healthy habits, there's no difference based on weight. So uh, these are the facts. These are the habits. And I want to close with a quote from a doctor of public health at Harvard who has been really famous for insisting that everybody needs to lose weight. And even he admits that you can substantially decrease your risk of death and improve your health by adopting healthy lifestyle habits. So my basic position, you know, you, these are, I'll, I'll give you the facts, you can do what you want with them. My personal interpretation is that we should, we're grabbing this problem completely by the wrong end. We're insisting that everybody has to do the very hardest thing that helps the least. <laughs> okay? Does that make any sense? How about we start by getting everybody to exercise for half an hour a day before we even begin to ask them how, what they weigh? How about we get people to eat some more vegetables before we ask them what they weigh? How about we take hold of this problem from the end that we can do something about? You know, there, there's nothing in your brain fighting against you going to, for a walk for half an hour. And if there is, you only have to fight it for half an hour. <laughs> right? If you're on a diet, you have to fight it 24 hours a day. All right. So that's my pitch. That's why you should never go on a diet. 